Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. This is your weekly edition of Just Asking the Press. I am your host, Brian Caraman. With me, as always, guiding us through the miasma and the turgid waters of this week's news and information is editor CQ Roll Call at Large, John Bennett, and former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. And guys, I guess we'll we'll unpack this. We've got the Russian insurrection to look at, a coup related to what, January 6th? No. Voyage to the bottom of the sea, the uh, uh, implosion of a small experimental craft, the Titan. Garland pushes back against the GOP claims of bias in the Hunter Biden case. Prosecutors want to delay the Trump trial until November. Uh, Trump campaign officials and some fake electors are in talks to cooperate with the January 6th inquiry. Modi, Modi, <laughs> the Indian president, he vits, visits the White House, and then we have your letters to go over. So stick around. A lot to unpack this week. We're going to take a short commercial break, and when we get back, we'll get right to it. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. Joining us for the weekly roundup uh, as we ask the press and others about what the hell happened this week. Let's start with the um, the latest news in the Russian insurrection. Of course, um, the head of the Wagner Group, taken from a call sign when he was with the uh, Russian army, uh, that would be... Um, Cannot pronounce his first name. You're going to have to forgive me. But Prigozhin, Mr. Prigozhin, has, as we speak has turned his troops around some 50,000. They were marching toward Moscow. They've taken over some, without a shot fired, they claim, some of the Russian military installations in Russia that were uh, um, staging grounds for the invasion into Ukraine. He has, uh, well, uh, condemned the uh, uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, said how many more fathers have to die. He particularly is upset with a couple of the generals. Uh, Vladimir Putin returned uh, saying that the guy is a traitor and he is now backing away from walking into Moscow. Uh, it sounds on the, if you remember, if well, none of us were alive. You go back to the 1917 Russian um, revolution came after Russia was tired of losing people dying in World War One, And that led to the uh, rise of the communists and the end of the czar. And some have accused Vladimir Putin of trying to be a czar. Now, there's questions as to how this was staged, what was it really all about? And of course, we've had members of the um, 
far right in this country who say it was just a plot by by Joe Biden to, to hide his son's nefarious schemes. We'll start with that lunacy. John, you're shaking your head. We got I'm going to you first, brother. <laughs> I'm just shaking my head at the notion from the American right that uh this is a distraction from uh from Hunter Biden's legal problems. Of course, he has agreed to plead guilty and uh, admitted guilt, uh, tax and firearms charges that somehow Joe Biden convinced Mr. Prigozhin to uh, <laughs> attempt a coup in Russia. <laughs> That's, uh, boy, you, you you can't make it up. Uh, they no. are obsessed. They are absolutely obsessed with Joe Biden and his son, Hunter, um, you know, it, it just amazing to me. I, I think it just shows uh, the level of of partisanship here at home. But the situation in Russia is is puzzling for a lot of reasons. Um, as as has been said, I'm sure our listeners have, have tuned into some cable news uh, this morning as, as we tape it Saturday morning. Um, Vladimir Putin is not someone that gets cooed or attempted cooed. So this is very brazen by Mr. Prigozhin. Um, he got within a couple hundred miles of Moscow. Of course, um, Mr. Prigozhin knows that Mr. Putin's troops are occupied fighting Ukrainians. So his troops are down south. And Prigozhin, uh, it's kind of like an NBA fast break that he attempted. And Putin, you know, is a four on one. And for some reason, Prigozhin has decided to not attack the hoop, to not attack the rim. Um, we'll see here, uh, how this plays out, but, you know, Putin felt that this was a serious enough threat that he went on, he did a national a television address. He was actually in front of a camera and said, this was a serious threat to, to the country. So, you know, it does, you, you do though have to wonder, you do have to wonder the extent to this, like in professional wrestling, they call it a work, a storyline that's manufactured. So I do wonder a bit, excuse me, the war in Ukraine is not popular inside Russia. This is not a popular war. No. So has Mr. Putin uh, kind of stage managed this coup attempt and put it down to try to make himself look stronger internally? You, you do have to wonder that. And I'm sure President Biden and others, his intel folks, um, have had that very discussion I believe it's at Camp David. There's a, a small situation room there. I'm sure they've had that discussion at Camp David this morning, uh, the extent to how real this was and how big of a threat. And and again, was this done for internal reasons? Uh, of course, Mr. Prigozhin has been critical of his former ally, Vladimir Putin, since this war started in Ukraine. Um, but there's a lot that we don't know right now. And uh, you, you do have to wonder and question uh, even how much U.S. intelligence knows, uh, British intelligence, the Germans, of course, the the uh, the French and other allies who Biden has talked to already today. We know that out of the White House. So uh, you wonder, do they have a good grasp on this? And and I would I would uh, I would go out on a limb and say no one probably knows exactly what's going on at this stage. Michael, it would seem far fetched that one would state. I mean. Uh, to that point, and I've heard that conjecture from several, uh, but, but not from national security. The people I've talked to in national security don't 
believe that to be the case, okay. but there are others that do. Michael, is, is it seen far-fetched it would stage a coup that, I mean, Vladimir Putin has always been about, I'm, I'm stronger than the average bear. I mean, he's, why would he do that? Does that sound to you? I, I wish I understood what was going on there. I mean, it's hard to root for a, a mercenary group um, <laughs> attacking, you know, an, an authoritarian. I mean, it's, there's no it's, one to root for in this game. Right. It's, I, I, it's, I know. it's like it's, watching it's, Duke playing Duke. Yeah. It's, it's like the Raiders are playing the Cowboys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, you know, of course, uh, Wagner, Wagner, you know. Wagner. Dun, 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 yeah, dun, dun. Richard, Richard Wagner uh, <laughs> uh, has a long history of, of bad behavior. Um, so it's hard to root for a, a, a Wagner uh, named organization. So. I wish I knew what was going on here. The uh, Putin forces and the the and the the do they do they call it Wagner or or Wagner? Wagner, Wagner forces are both bad. So to your point, there's no team to root for. You sort of hope they both lose and that something emerges from it. Um, and as it relates to uh, the whole region, look this this supposed uh, turnaround by the the troops of the Wagner group was negotiated by Lyshenko of Belarus another yes. another team not to root for <laughs> yeah. you got you got Belarus the the Wagner group you got Putin um you've got anti-semitic nazi forces right. in Ukraine i mean a, you know, so it's like sort of a pox on, on everyone's house. And all I know um, in my heart is that Joe Biden is not orchestrating this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, either Joe is is incomparably strong or incomparably weak, and he can't be both. But MAGA has it that way. <laughs> well, so if you but if you remember, like back in 1998, when Bill Clinton was embroiled in the Monica Lewinsky affair. And then he started bombing campaign in Bosnia. The, the right. same, you know, sort of the, the, the same right wing critics of Clinton said he's bombing as an ex, as a distraction for, for Monica, Monica Lewinsky. So, you know, geopolitics aside, uh, if it's going to divert from a domestic um, situation that the Republicans would like to see uh, on the front headlines of each newspaper, then it's obviously a conspiracy to to get it off the papers. Um, and I, you know, didn't buy it in 98, don't buy it, buy it now. now. As you said, it's hard to reconcile the observations that he is both a, a, a demented old man, not worthy yeah. of the presidency, and a Machiavellian geopolitical mastermind. Uh, <laughs> he he woke up out of his stupor just long enough to put all this together. <laughs> there, there was a, remember there was this great Saturday Night Live skit on Ronald, Ronald Reagan, Reagan, <laughs> where uh, he's you know the the affable uh, daughter guy, old man. You know? Yeah. And then the doors close and, and he pulls down the map and he's, you know, like yeah, yeah. micromanaging. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, maybe that's going on here. Maybe we've got to have your audience 
pull up the Saturday Night Live <laughs> skit of Ronald Reagan, the the mastermind of of the world, <laughs> fighting behind an affable uh, lightweight. Uh, yeah, Sana. Well, there you go again. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to leave it with this, and um, when we take a look at how it's been covered in the news here, it was it it caught a lot of Americans by surprise, caught news by surprise. <clears throat> it's still a developing story, but at the end of the day, it doesn't look it. Putin is who's tried to project an image of uh, you know a stainless steel iron fist has definite problems in ukraine this only helps out ukraine it doesn't help out russia i think that most people will agree that at at the very least it's going to cause a great deal a number of problems for uh putin uh going forward and it is a developing story so everyone please pay attention to it i'm going to switch now to the uh if i can to the boy i'm sorry john you want to add to that i was just going to say that um even a you know a year definitely two years ago this would seem far-fetched. I don't think this is as far-fetched as even my my gut instinct when I my cat woke me up this morning. I checked my phone at 4.30 and I saw a, a, a New York Times alert about all this. Um, I didn't think it was real then, but the more I think about it, Putin is Putin's alone. He's got President Xi, but President Xi has a limit where he's going to cut this guy off. And, right. and Putin is isolated. Other than Xi and Belarus, He's isolated. He has no allies. He has no friends. So this might not happen today or or next week, but a year from now, I think this something like this could have a coup could happen in Russia that would drive Putin uh, from power. I, I think it is realistic to think that. Yeah, and Brian. I know I'm jumping the agenda a bit, but maybe uh, it, it's a good transition to, to in talking about this last point that John makes is to say, well, how does the relationship between the U.S. and India, the Modi visit, feature into this analysis? Because it, it seems that's an important counterweight um, against the Russia-China sure. alliance. Well, let's jump on in there with that. Go ahead, <laughs> John. Give me what you got, brother. Yeah, we, we saw President Modi uh, at the White House for parts of three days uh, this week. And, you know, John Kirby, the uh, National Security Council uh, spokesman, told reporters um, and some interesting back back and forth. Uh, too bad it wasn't on camera. It was on a call um, that this that, that Modi's visit was not about China. I think we missed a bit um, than media coverage. This was also about Russia. This was largely about Russia. Yeah. We know that Modi has been buying, for instance, um, buying and reselling really cheap Russian oil. And that's just one example of the business partnership that Modi still has with Russia. You know, Modi hasn't, you know, he hasn't gone to Moscow and Moscow and, and did a photo op with Vladimir Putin or anything, but there are still <laughs> some ties. Putin's isolated diplomatically, but there still are these kinds of ties, you know, the gas to, to Europe, the, the natural gas to Europe, uh, the oil sales to India and other countries. So there still are some ties. But what Biden was trying to do, he was trying to pull Modi out of that, that sphere that includes both China and Russia kind of jointly and independently and pull him um, more into the Western sphere and, 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 of course, the American sphere. And we've seen 
we've seen numerous presidents do this um, with Modi and, and other Indian leaders. I can remember as far back um, as, and Brian, you might go back further than this. Yeah. I remember with George, <laughs> George W. Bush. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, no, I've never said that. <laughs> George I'm W. Bush had an Indian leader for a visit and I was still covering defense back then. I went to the chamber downtown and uh, one of the, and the, the, the Indian defense minister came with the then leader and, and gave a spiel to some defense folks at the chamber. So, you know, we've, we've been at this for a while. U S this is nothing new Republican and democratic presidents have, have tried to, to tug at India and keep them, but it's really tempting, right? Because that Russian oil is really cheap. And yeah. you can resell it as Modi has been doing. So that's Make a little what, money on it. That's what it was about. It, it was largely, and I think we did miss that in the coverage. Now, and, and John, White House, the White House didn't want to broadcast it, of course, for strategic right. reasons. Uh, but it was there just beneath the surface. Um, now, and, to your you know, point, it, it, I'm going to say this. Uh, I do remember the Nehru jacket in Indira Gandhi. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so, yeah. I know. How about you, Michael? Do you still have a neighbor jacket? That's uh, only because the Beatles wore it. That's it. <laughs> Pretty good reason. Yeah. That. By the way, that was the one. Uh, all right. Just to let you, there was that one time when everybody in India said, you know, it was the one time when it was cool to be Indian when the Beatles went to, went to India in '68, and everybody wanted to be Indian at that point. So uh, anyway, but to the, to your point, getting back on point. Um, the discussion, Modi has been criticized for actually trying to strip away democracy from India. One of the biggest criticisms is, is that he's destroying democracy in India and becoming a warlord by using the Russian uh, oil. Do you do you think that there's any chance, and I'll go to you, Michael, is, is does that bother, how, how does that play in, in the world today? I mean, he he's, he's not the best thought of leader in India's history by any means. No, no but uh, speaking recently um, to a friend of mine who um, is from India and listening to a editorial at the beginning of, of his show um, by Fareed Zakaria, both of them say that there is an optimism in India that among the young that hasn't been noticed this prominently in a in a very long time. And so there is something going on in India in you know their Gen X, Gen Z um, uh, cohort that uh, is important to keep note of while at the same time not forgetting the fact that there are profound human rights issues in, in India um, that seem, as always the case, to be second chair to uh, their, you know, geopolitical and financial arrangements. And so there's always that tension. You know, just ask Jimmy Carter how difficult it was yes. to put human rights in the in the driver's seat for international relations. It's, it's very hard. Um, it's also, of course, very hard when we have the same human rights problems in the United States. So it's, you know, there's a pot calling the kettle black, if that's the right expression. Um, and so, or holier than thou sort of 
Uh, well, that's what the rest of the world gets from us. They believe we we play holier than thou, and then the, we forget our own problems as far as human rights. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, for my uh, podcast, as you know, which we'll talk about at the very end, I read a lot of social justice books. And one of the books I recently read, You Have to Be Prepared to Die in Order to Live, about Birmingham in 1963. And what John Kennedy, in watching the the events in Birmingham unfold in, in 1963, um, he basically said, we can't live with this going on here because it creates a public relations nightmare for us internationally. Leave aside, you know, the inhumanity of what's going on um, with, you know, systemic racism in, in Alabama at that time. But he said, this is what allows our adversaries to say, you want to be like them? This is, right. look look at who they are. Um, and he said, I, we can't tolerate that. It's not in our national interest to have these sort of domestic um, horribles. Um, so all this stuff says it's a complicated world. And that's why presidents of the United States, whenever they leave office, whether it's four or eight years, look as if they've aged, you know, 20 or 30 years. Unless you're Donald Trump, then you just look like you've gained 40 or 50 pounds. But John, John before we go to commercial break, <laughs> jump in. Yeah. Well, number one, uh, I, Mr. Trump, in his interview with Brett Baer, there were some close-ups, and uh, I do think he is starting to age. And I think, oh, all yeah. this, but we'll get to Trump. Uh, one thing about Modi, there is an optimism in India. There, there is an optimism among Indian Americans. Um, and but I thought the scene on the South Lawn, um, I guess that was Wednesday morning. Yeah. Uh, when the official state visit, the bilateral meeting, the Oval Office, the state dinner, all that. So he shows up at 10 in the morning on Wednesday, lavish Oval Office, uh, South Lawn arrival ceremony, uh, military bands, gun salute, military gun salute. They gave remarks, but there were and especially a lot of young Indian Americans, the cameras caught chanting Modi, Modi, Modi. So they're happy with with Modi. But to Michael's point, this optimism, I don't, I, I and, and there was a fascinating New York Times op-ed and I couldn't find it this morning, uh, but it was, it, it talked about how that optimism doesn't run deep and it's not broad. So it's just in the 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 upper three or so casts or classes of, of of Hindus, of Indian Hindus, right. that Modi has been very good for them. They're prospering. But the Muslims, some of the other lower caste uh, groups, even within the Hindu uh, portion of the population, they're not doing well at all. And in fact, the Muslims are being persecuted, so to speak. They're being yep. definitely discriminated against. No, not so against, to speak, in actuality, yeah. yeah. You know, Stripping name like Muslim names, they they take the signs down of these businesses. That's just one example that I read. Um, you know, they're not allowed to to express their religious views. They're like nuisance lawsuits. Uh, ju that just you know, you know, it's just like here, nuisance lawsuits tie you up in litigation and and drain you, and you're broke. So yeah. there's a lot going on over there, um, and and I thought, and I'm I put on my columnist hat here. Um, I thought I thought to a certain degree, Modi really embarrassed himself, especially. There we go. Let's get to it. That's yeah. Exactly I thought right. it was a really embarrassing performance, not by President Biden, who did check Modi a few times in his own very diplomatic way, 
But at the joint press conference, if we want to call it that. Well, um, I don't know what you call it, but you call uh, the joint yeah. appearance. It, there you go. Media availability, shall we and, say. And it's not even media availability. It's, again, staged with questions yeah. that are pre-approved by the president and by Modi. It was sure. horrible. It's another Mo- one of those things that right. it, when I first started going there, you would not see, but you see it now. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so yeah, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right, Brian. Uh, and Modi knew the questions that he was going to get, but he was – he was. I've always said this about about folks over the years. Um, he was aggressively defensive, and 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 you know the human rights questions were going to come up. One thing that Biden took heat for, and he deservedly so, he did not bring up in front of the cameras at least the human rights concerns inside India. He didn't say I talked to Modi about that. He never and that's said not that. Biden's way. You and I both know that. Yeah, that's right. Do you know from talking to national security people that those were discussions that they had off camera? Okay. And, that, and I'm fine with that. But to your sure. point about Modi, when I watched him, I, I hate to use the word, but it was almost Trumpian. It was it mm-hmm. was watching him bullshit. And I thought That's it was pretty it was. embarrassing for it, for it did. One. It did. And I've watched a lot of politicians just like you guys over the years. It was bullshit. And yeah. then he went to Congress. And delivered an, a speech for over an hour in which, I mean, you would think India is the perfect country. He didn't, at the White House or in in front of the Congress, he didn't acknowledge a challenge. He didn't say, we have this problem and this is what we're doing about it. He, he held India up as this perfect utopian country. It was embarrassing. I thought his address to Congress was even far more embarrassing than his performance at the at the media availability it was it was pollyanna it was yeah parts of it were just fiction and it was just you know he was which is why the republicans loved yeah. it, it they, they're used yeah. to fiction well but- even then our our foreign cq's uh foreign policy reporter rachel oswald and she filed her her dispatch or her story after and she noted that that by halfway through the speech it was so over the top and embellished that even Republicans in the chamber were kind of glancing at each other and withholding applause, or it was very tepid applause. That even, and as she said in her story, even Modi's allies in the room seemed to kind of turn on him. Uh, and he didn't read the room. He should have wrapped that thing up and gotten the hell out of there. And yeah, he just well. kept digging. He just kept digging his own hole. And again, you know, I just, you know, we've seen foreign leaders, you and me, Brian, come through the White House over the years. And I just thought this was one of the worst performances that that I can recall. I don't disagree. And on that, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we've got a lot more to unravel. So stick around. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast.
Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. It's Just Ask the Press every Sunday as we take a look at the news that's been made during the week. And we were just discussing the disingenuousness of a visit from Modi and um that's a great India. word, Brian. Disingenuous. That's great. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. But let's switch to something else. Uh, the coverage, I we've talked a little bit about the coverage. I thought our coverage sucked, by the way, uh, of that visit. And what you pointed out, John, is is an example of why I thought it sucked. And then in the first issue that we talked about, Russian, we don't know what's going on in Russia, and the coverage was questionable there. This third issue... You have five people in a sub, and and Michael, I'll, I'll go to you first. Five people in a sub, they disappear for four or five days. People are holding out hope against hope that perhaps they're sitting in the bottom of the ocean. They've and uh, we've got to get to them before they run out of air. It turns out they were probably dead instantly, an hour and a half into their um, descent to the uh, two miles beneath the Earth's surface where the Titanic rests. They were down there in a small submersible to take a look at the Titanic adventurers, and it cost them money to do this. But <clears throat> what you heard afterwards is, uh, I, I guess, some of the stuff that we're dealing with now. I mean, it's almost as bad as hearing that, you know, that uh, Biden was behind the Russian coup attempt. But it, there are people saying we shouldn't have even looked for the five, that there were uh, members of you know, there were uh, refugees and that didn't get as much coverage as the five people at the bottom of the sea. Uh, Michael, when you looked at it, what'd you think? Well, I was in favor of the search and res rescue. How could you not? Operation. It is something that the Coast Guard and the Navy do routinely. I think I read a statistic they do like 100,000 of these things a, a, a year. Yeah. Mostly it's for vessels on top of the water, not so much submersibles, but I would not like to have the Coast Guard and Navy, and remember this was also jointly done with Canada, France, and the UK, say, yeah. well, you know, these are five rich people, what the hell, you know? Let them die. Uh, I just don't <laughs> think, yeah, I just, so I, I was glad that they searched and I was sorry for the tragic outcome. And I think we should continue to search for for missing um, vessels on the high seas or people in national forests. I, I think that that's a good thing for society to do. Yeah. And, you know, some states like New Hampshire charge for rescue, um, search and rescue. If you got lost or needed to be found um, because of your own sort of reckless behavior. But the thing that's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds is with the emergence of these sort of technologies that fly people into space for a fee or take them down on voyages to the bottom of the sea uh, for $200,000 a person. Great show. Do, what are we going to be doing to regulate safety in, in this industry and what type of insurance are we going to require these companies? Now they, you know, you sign, you go on that boat uh, under the ocean and I'm sure you signed waivers, um, but that's not acceptable. You can't waive away negligence. 
and you can't wave away gross negligence. And so I think what this sub search tells us is as these types of voyages become more present, whether they be in space or under the water or any place else, that these companies need to protect better those who travel with them. I mean, can you imagine if the SpaceX rocket is unable mm -hmm. to make re-entry and it's circling around uh, the Earth with its own limited oxygen supply, we're supposed to send up uh, uh, what to get it, you know, and, and build a new space. All those sort of questions need to be uh, addressed as a policy matter. And so for me, I'm glad they did the search. I'm so saddened that it didn't work out. I was so optimistic when we heard the, the banging noise that maybe this was a signal that was coming right. from the sun. Um, but I do think there's a lesson to be learned here, and that is these operators of uh, these types of voyages uh, to these types of places need to have better government regulations to ensure the safety of their passengers in ways that I don't think they're ensuring them at the moment. And Michael, if you uh, the great Waldo Pepper, if you ever saw that movie, what you're talking about is actually what at the beginning of when airplanes became popular and airlines started the same type of regulation and people got, no, it's the wild, you know, it was the wild adventurous air, but people look, if we're going to use these often, we're going to do this. We want a normal <laughs> amount of safety involved in it, which gave us the <laughs> FAA. It was like, ah. it was like, Hey, yeah. Hey, maybe you should build a plane or, or, you know, or a submersible that doesn't implode. And um, the two quick things, and, and John, I'll let you close up. The two things that it, it was the early days of airlines to me, but when people say we shouldn't have even searched for them, flip it. Should we have searched for refugees? What the hell? They're poor. Let them die. I mean, it's the same type of, to me, they're people. And, you know, there was, I can't tell you the number of times I covered events and we called them low IQ crossings in Texas. They were low water crossings. They didn't build bridges across dry creeks, just roads. And then uh -huh. when they flooded, there was a chart. There was a, a a yardstick right by the river, and it would and the, the gates would come down and go. You cannot cross during low, you know, when there's a flood. And if you got a, a rain, you'd get a flood. And there, oftentimes, were people that would drive their cars into three feet of water or more, thinking they could drive across it. And if and it's cost EMS and the fire department all kinds of money to go out and rescue these people, but we did because they're human beings and we show some empathy for other human beings. So that being said, John, take it away. I I did think that the media coverage was um, was way over the top, uh, but uh, I I made this point uh, uh, to someone recently, uh, of course on the right. Um, about the about media these days, I know a guy who wrote a book about corporate ownership <laughs> of media and its corrosive effects. Um, his name here's is Brian an example. Karam. Whoa, it's you. <laughs> anyway, so your hundred dollars is in the mail. <laughs> right. This was an example of corporate ownership. We now, um, you know, we're a lot of media outlets are owned by something else, another entity. And we, part of our duty, let's just be real. And this makes people in our business very uncomfortable. I I don't understand why. It is what it is. 
part of our our mission has changed. Our mission used to be get as close to the truth and deliver that to the folks, to the readers, to the viewers, give them some analysis, give them some context, explain what's going on. But part of our mission now, and and sometimes an equal, an equal part of our mission now is, is how do we help the parent company's bottom line? And one way you do that is over the top coverage of a submersible that is lost near the Titanic. You go 24-7, forget anything else that's going on, get an anchor as close to the site as you can, get a reporter up there, and just 24-7, submersible, submersible, submersible. But it's also what the people want. Don't now, I can skewer us in the media, fine, but we, as I pointed out to this person on the right, we are responding to the market. And right. the market is the reader and the viewer. You know, you had you had websites here in town, news organizations that that write stories about cloture motions on the Hill and the Senate writing about submersible. So so yeah. so you know, one one minute, one minute you're a floor expert of the Senate, the next you're writing five takeaways from the submersible search. But it clicks. People click on it. People stay tuned. It keeps eyeballs on CNN or Fox or MSNBC or or CBS News Network. People watch it. People click on it. So we're responding. Remember, we 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 are now a big business and we respond to our market and I tell people this especially on the right, if you didn't click on it, we wouldn't do it. That's always been the way too. I mean, I all right, I'm going to go to a movie that I saw Radio Days by <clears throat> by by a certain comedian Woody Allen. But I do remember when you know like if someone fell in a well, they would sit there and it would be 24/7 if if yeah. someone was lost, it's 24. I mean, that's human nature. And sure. and that's and and so people are curious, are they alive? Were they trapped? Oh my god, what happened? With and you know, we did not cover the refugees nearly as much. Um we did cover it because you wouldn't know about it if we didn't, but <clears throat> unless you were there, so it was covered. But it's that drama part of it that keeps people tuned in, uh, and you know, trapped at the bottom of the sea in a in a tin can. Can they survive? Little knowing that they had died almost instantly. We didn't know that. Um, so I think that that speaks to why we covered it too. I'm gonna switch gears and move on because man, we got to hit the meat. Um, and, and Michael, I'm going to let you unpack this one. This week, there have been all kinds of claims that uh, from the GOP that there's uh, we've had whistleblowers come forward. The GOP is claiming that there's bias on the Hunter Biden case that he should have been indicted for felonies. He was a he's you know Michael Corleone, a part of a crime family that is the Bidens. And then this week, we finally got Merrick Garland pushing back against that in a piece that was in the New York Times. Michael, is it, 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 these whistleblowers have a point? Was there bias? What, did they let Hunter get off easy? Well, there are a lot of things that we don't know here. I looked at this case long ago, and I thought that, generally speaking, individuals who didn't pay taxes and then repaid them and was were in negotiations with the IRS tended if there was going to be criminal charges instead of just civil penalties to be charged with failure to pay and not tax fraud or tax evasion. And I thought right. that the Hunter, the facts of the Hunter Biden case, as I looked at them 
publicly because I have no visibility into the grand jury evidence. I thought these tax cases look to be in the norm of tax uh, failure to pay cases that end up with misdemeanors and probation. And therefore, when I looked at it, I thought Hunter Biden was being treated similar to many people um, with the same sort of facts behind them. And I still think that. With respect to the IRS whistleblowers, I, I don't know. We don't know. The only thing that causes me some concern is that um, the group that is either representing them or or paying fees, I think is called Empower Oversight, yes. which is uh, a pretty conservative political organization. And uh, the attorney who represents them from, uh, the private attorney who represents them from the law firm, I understand from, again, public reporting that he has been in communication about the case with John Solomon, another uh, person who has, you know, right-wing political leading. So like the Monica Lewinsky case that was funded by uh, conservative organizations and promoted by the likes of George Conway mm -hmm. and others, um, but it didn't mean that there wasn't a, an affair between Clinton and, and Lewinsky. So you don't want to say, well, because there's a conservative organization funding them, uh, it's not true, but it does raise you know, eyebrows for me or questions for me of the legitimacy of, of the allegations. If they're true, they're disturbing. Um, but Merrick Garland and the assistant United States attorney assigned uh, to the case, the Trump holdover from the Delaware, not the assistant United States attorney, the U.S. attorney from Delaware, have flat out denied it. Although, of course, that would that is what you would expect. Right. Um, so uh, we just have no way of knowing. It seems to me, Brian, at the bottom line is the charges that under Biden will plead guilty to if the judge accepts the plea are uh, within the uh, normal sort of parameters of people with similar cases and that he didn't get a sweetheart deal because he is a, a Biden. Right. And, and there's some who say he not only didn't get a sweetheart deal, but some of these things aren't even prosecuted as stringently as this one was, and he was because he was a Biden. So you hear it from both ends. I'll say this. We'll kick it over to you, John. Only thing I have to add to this is that um, every whistleblower I've ever interviewed always has an axe to grind. You got to know what it is. That doesn't mean that they're in. Sometimes they're factual and sometimes they're not. You don't take them uh, at face value as you don't take any evidence at face value. You try to you know investigate it. John, what do you I, I mean, politically, is this just more bullshit or is this something that uh, that resonates? It resonates. Uh, the question is, and it's broken record time, does it resonate? How much does it resonate with those 100,000 uh, yes. moderate Republican and independent voters in those six to eight states that I talk about on this show every week? <laughs> uh, that is the question. Uh, I've never heard that out of you before. What are you talking that's about? That's right. Broken record time. Uh, that's, But that, I mean, that, that's the question to me. It, it, it resonates with the right for sure. 
Um, and it's it's not bullshit because he has pled guilty to to crimes. He yeah. has saying, I, I broke these laws and I plead guilty to these. I admit I broke these other ones. And I'm going to he's going to be sentenced. Uh, don't I don't think he's going to jail, but, um, you know, politically, it's a problem. And there's a reason this happened now and and things didn't continue, at least these charges. Um, and I'm sure the president nudged his son to accept this agreement because he's got to, he's trying to get reelected. Now, this is another reason the Modi, the way the Modi visit was done uh, was just a bad idea for everyone. Uh, you know, I we're sitting around unwinding after dinner uh, on Wednesday evening and looking at Twitter and pictures are emerging from inside the state dinner. And guess who is there? Hunter. Tuxedo, fresh haircut and all, Hunter Biden. And the right went nuts. And guess what? They should have. Hunter Biden should not have been within a thousand miles of the White House. It was a bad political decision. I understand the president loves his son and his son has been through a lot. Uh, the death of his brother, Bo Biden, that shook that whole family up. And we've all been there. And I understand it. And I think it's I think it is laudable that Joe Biden says he's proud of how Hunter has come out of his problems. But he should not have been at a state dinner the day or the day after he 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 agreed to plead guilty that he committed these crimes. I thought it was just politically tone deaf. Uh, I thought it I thought it was kind of like a wasn't like a shrugging saying, off. It, it wasn't taking it seriously. It was a shrugging off of the charges. And and I think it it's a bit of hubris from from President Biden. And there's I where it was I a big mistake. I, there's where I agree about the hubris, but. I think what he was saying, I don't think it was a brushing off. I What I looked at it was, um, I'm proud of my son for owning his mistakes and coming forward. I And by the way, that's something that Donald Trump, and that was the aside. I think that was the between the lines thing that, that yeah. the president was saying, is that I'm proud of my son. And I got, you know, as a father, I'm proud of my son when he takes responsibility. You know, we all are when you've raised someone who will take responsibility for their bad actions. And there is no doubt that, you know, uh, Hunter Biden has had addiction and personal problems for years. That's all well known. So, but the hubris of it, I think the tone deafness to me wasn't that um, it was a brushing aside. It was that he mistook how it would be taken or how it would play politically. Yeah. Yeah. While he was, Proud of his son, and I, as a dad, I would pro I, I got to tell you, I might make the same damn mistake. Son, I'm proud of you. Come sit next to me at the table because, by God, you step forward. Um, but in that particular, I don't know if he was reading the room well or if he gave a shit about reading the room well. Right. Uh, it was where That's I'll another problem. Yeah, but I, I have to say that part of this is on Hunter Biden himself. I, yeah. I think at this point he needs to say, Dad, for sure. This is probably not smart. And that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So I think there there was probably from Joe Biden, uh, parental love, uh, which he exudes. Um, and from Hunter Biden, there was bad judgment, which he seems to exude. So <laughs> 
another example therein. <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far, does it? Oh, I'm telling you, a tough room. All right, so from that, I'm going to switch over. Michael, you got this one as well. The prosecutors want to delay Trump's trial mm -hmm. uh, until November. And now, you know, Jack Smith came out with his dead eye, his, you know, sheriff look and said, look, we're coming after you and we're, we want a speedy trial. And then so <laughs> Trump says, uh, okay, and now he goes, oh, wait a minute, not that speedy. Well, <laughs> is there politics involved in that? I, I think the speculation is that Trump wants to get it over with prior to, you know, the beginning of uh, of primary season. And if they wait until November, it won't. So he'll look at it as a political move. Is it politics or is it something else? No, no, no. This is exactly what everyone knew would happen. That is... There is a, there's a thing called the Speedy Trial Act. Under the Speedy Trial Act, people uh, charged with crime are entitled to a trial within 70 days, not with, not less than 30 days unless they agree, and not more than 70 um, days. So the judge issued an ordinary order pursuant to the Speedy Trial Act that says, essentially, the 70-day window is going to end sometime in August, and so... Pursuant to the Speedy Trial Act, I'm telling you, we're, we're going to have a trial as required by law within 70 days. Uh, and, unless, of course, there are motions and other things that need to be addressed. And then the Speedy Trial Act allows for the tolling of the 70-day clock. In a case like this, where you have all these classified documents, there are always extensive pretrial motions that pertain to them because you have to figure out who can see what, how they're going to be handled in court, what number of documents will be made available. So, for example, the indictment charges 30-ish, 31 documents, um, national defense information documents. But we know that about 100 or so was seized. The defense might say, I want all 100 of them. And the prosecutors might say, no, you only get 30. And then there are motions and the judge has to resolve all that stuff. So what the prosecutors are saying here is, look, we know motions are coming. So why don't we just pick a firm date sometime in December, early December, December 11, um, where we can say between now and then, let's get all these motions resolved. You defense, we prosecutors, you to be decided upon by judge so that when December 11th rolls around, we are really set to go. So it is a firm trial date. You know, this, the plane is leaving at two o'clock on the 11th and you can be on board or you can miss the plane. So I think that's what the prosecutors are doing, which is normal. The, everything that has happened here happens every day in cases um, of this sort um, across the United States. So there is nothing- but it's never normal about when it. it's Donald. It's never no, normal. No, no, but, but Brian, it is normal in terms of the timeline you're asking yeah, me. Yeah, I get that. I is get the that. Is this a political decision? Well, it's a very normal thing that the prosecutors are doing here, and in fact, the defense in some of these cases has not even objected to this because they know that this is the the normal stuff. Right. What is what is political is not the decision making so much as there is a policy within the DOJ about not bringing cases. Uh, uh, against politicians within a certain number of days 
prior to the election. So the prosecutors are trying to say, look, we need to get a firm trial date here and we need to get it done so as not to violate DOJ policies around these types of cases that close to the election. So in order to do that, in order to accomplish those dual objectives of fairness to the defendant and not um, and, and making sure we have a firm trial date, December 11th to us seems a, a good solution. And that's what I think they filed. And so do you think it'll happen, go down that way? It'll depend on the judge. The judge can say, I agree, that's our date. We have now from June to December to get all this motion stuff handled. I think we can do that as long as she runs a tight courtroom. Um, and yes, that to me, judge speaking, is, 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 a, is a good date. Or she can say, well, let's just see how it goes and not impose restrictions on the parties, in which case uh, December 11th won't be a hard tri trial date. It'll be a soft one. It'll get pushed. And the defense, of course, as is the case in all these types of cases, prefers extenuating circumstances and delays um, because if it always benefits. Huh? I, um, I worked for a lawyer early in my career. He has argued in the Supreme Court. He was a DOJ um, lawyer. And I said to him once, well, what's your greatest accomplishment as a lawyer? And he said, I once got an indefinite continuance. So the, Meaning that the case, the case will never be, will never be. <laughs> That's the American way. Now, and, by God, there's a lawyer. <laughs> That's right. So you know, indefinite continuances are are good for people charged with crime. <laughs> Can I get his name? Just in case. <laughs> you expecting problems there, John? Hey, you never know. You never know. <laughs> The last thing we want to talk about is, uh, um, and, and what, wait a minute, first, John, I want you to check in on this. I mean, you, we both know Donald Trump's going to play politics with this, right? No. I mean, if there is a soft date, he's going to say, oh, you got to get it done now. Oh, 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 it's too close. Oh, see, you're screwing me. It's all about the politics. You all, you, it's a, it's a Biden thing, by the way, give me money. Yes. I believe he's already doing that. Yeah, let's say yeah. it's a matter of if he'll do it. Yeah, he'll keep doing it. Yeah. I think we both probably have multiple uh, uh, fundraising emails just from today. Uh, yeah, just from today in our in our inboxes for sure. You know, I don't get the text anymore. I'm I'm a little uh, I don't know what I did to Donnie, but I fell off the text list. Oh, I keep getting anyway, those to bastards. Yeah, he, he's he's definitely going uh, to play politics. Continue to play politics and to raise. Uh, raise money from his still loyal supporters. Um, that's just what he does. It's what he's always done. It is what he will do until he and will no report on it. <laughs> and we will because it's news. At least as long as he is, um, excuse me, as long as he is running for president, as long as he is the leader of the Republican Party, and he still is the leader of the Republican Party. And um, it's it's also news as long as even if he dropped out of the race today. It's still news because he's a former president, leader of the party, and under federal and state investigations in multiple jurisdictions. So, and 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 so it's news, and we'll report it, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll do a. I think the media has done a pretty good job covering all these uh, Trump yeah. investigations and putting the context behind it. Uh, we miss uh, from time to time. Trump's um, in a political sub that's imploding. That's there you go. That's why we cover it because it's the. That's why. But yeah, he's going to try to delay these trials, and they're uh, 
by all accounts and evidence that I see, uh, there are more trials to come with Donald John Trump as the defendant. So he's going to try to delay and stall and, you know, get motions to his benefit. He's going to play every card that he and his lawyers can come up with in all of these trials. This is going to go on for a very, very, very Oof. long time. We are not, we are not close to being uh, done as a country, as a political system of Donald Trump. Um, he, he, even again, if he dropped out of the race tomorrow, he's We'd not going to cover it. Yeah. We're still going to cover it. You know, forget the submersible, submersible, forget the tiny sub. I can't say the word, forget the tiny sub. When Trump goes to trial day one of whichever trial goes first four sets with, you know, this set's going to be the political panel and that yeah. one's going to be the legal. And then there's going to be a mixed panel of legal and politicos. And then we're going to have reporters uh, we have reporters outside the courthouse and the chopper over mar-a-lago so you know this guy's not going anywhere uh even even if he dropped out of the race and endorsed i don't know tim scott or something like that um <laughs> and he's gonna well, play politics and he wants to stay in the headlines these motions are also good and all these it keeps him in the headlines and we know he's still obsessed with being in the headlines he always will be again until the day he's no longer with us and on that note, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back, talk about Trump's fake electors and uh, the campaign officials trying to cooperate in the January 6th inquiry, and we'll answer your letters. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and we're just asking the press as we do every Sunday. As we take a look at the uh, issues and the news that we've uh, all had to suffer through this week, um, I've, I've, I feel wow. like... A, I feel like Lloyd Bridges in airplane. I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue, but that's that's exactly how I feel after this week's news. Uh, Michael, we're gonna uh, <laughs> now go over to the Trump campaign official who is in talks to cooperate in the January sixth inquiry uh, with Jack Smith and uh, some of the fake electors. The same way, how is this advancing? Is are we going to see charges soon? <laughs> did did Mark Meadows flip? That's that's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many angels dance on the head of a pin either, Brian. <laughs> yeah. what, what I can, but we know what how I many can, devils. <laughs> what what I can tell you is this. There's a grand jury in Washington. That grand jury is looking into the events surrounding January 6th. One aspect of that is this legal question of were there people who conspired to defraud the United States by obstructing the ordinary transfer of power? One aspect of that question is the fake electors scheme. The fake electors scheme was a scheme 
for people to recall that would have replaced the legitimately um, designated electors, and those are the people who actually right. vote for the president, with fake ones. And that those fake certifications then would have been snuck into the Capitol and given to Pence. And Pence would have said, look, there's so much confusion here. I've got two sets of electors. Let's send this back to the states to tell us what's going on. Or I, in my unilateral judgment, will say I select these electors versus those electors. The hope there was that that confusion and that participation by Pence would have changed the outcome from what was the outcome that Biden won to a fake outcome that 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 Trump won. As we know, Pence wouldn't go along with it and uh, the scheme failed. But just like with a bank robbery, the fact that you didn't get to rob the bank doesn't mean you don't get charged with attempting <laughs> to rob a bank because you get <laughs> caught, you know, in in the in the uh, waiting area. Right. Here the prosecutor is saying, well, let's take a look at these fake electors and did they make false certifications that they were in fact truly the electors and perhaps more importantly, let's see who organized this conspiracy to promote the false electors scheme. What has happened this week that's important is that some of the people in the Trump inner circle seemed to have been speaking with the prosecutors about what's going on there. And another one is in negotiations with the prosecutors who was alleged to be an insider in the organization of the scheme. And two Nevada fake electors were given limited immunity, meaning what they say out of their mouth can't be used against them in a, in a criminal trial to say, tell us about your participation. So the prosecutor is looking at who is the organizers of this. Um, that's one group of witnesses. And then who were the organized, the, the electors, and let's see what's going on here. All of which is calculated to determine whether or not there was a criminal conspiracy to defraud the United States by obstructing the orderly transfer of power. So this is a, a development that is uh, important, whether it ends up in an indictment or just a report. Remember right, that, it, right. that uh, Smith, the independent counsel, has to write a report. So he might just say, look, I, I investigated all this. I brought all these people in. I immunized the uh, electors. I got proffers from the, the, the organizers. And in the end, I decided not to bring charges. But let me explain to you what happened here so that you know, like Mueller, uh, but hopefully in a more readably, readable, friendly <laughs> format, um, what, what you know, sort of like uh, the follow on to the January 6th. January 6th issue a report, but they say, look, we didn't have grand jury. We couldn't get forced testimony. Smith could be saying, look, I, this doesn't merit criminal charges, but I'm going to give you part two of the January 6th report, which contains all of the types of witness testimony that they couldn't get because they didn't have the right. grand jury subpoena. And so we don't know which way it's headed. And it could be headed in both directions. It could be that he files indictments and also at the end of all the trials and everything else issues a, a final report. All we can tell you, Brian, all I can tell you is that there is 
momentum around the question of investigating what happened with respect to the fake electors scheme. And that's of interest. And John, does it mean anything to you that Donald Trump said this week that Mark Meadows is a rat? <laughs> yeah, it means a lot. That guy knows um that guy knows stuff that Trump doesn't want communicated to federal or state prosecutors again in multiple jurisdictions. I can't drive that point home. Uh, Meadows was there. Meadows was on the phone. Uh, we know from Cassidy Hutchinson, his former aide, it seems like Mark Meadows was never not looking at his phone. Uh, I can attest he was never a source of mine, but I had colleagues who would text with Mark Meadows, reporter colleagues. He was notoriously reporter friendly uh, uh, when he was in the Congress. That continued when he was White House chief of staff. So, but he, you know, he, he was also involved in conversations about January 6th. We know that from testimony. Right. He he may not have said much, but he was being told about some of the planning. And, um, you know, he talked with, with President Trump a lot. He's the one, we, you know, we talked back during the January 6th committee hearings on this show um, about the committee was unable to connect some of those dots from January 6th planning say the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, those kinds of folks to Donald Trump couldn't couldn't draw the line, couldn't make it connect. Well, if the line connects, it probably goes through Mark Meadows. If Meadows was relaying things to Trump and Trump was relaying orders or I this would be nice or maybe they could do this, you know, having some informal, indirect role in the planning of January 6th or you guys were talking about the fake elector scheme. If Mark Meadows and, and Trump were talking about that and then Meadows was taking information or things that Trump said back to fake electors or January 6th planners, well, you know, I'll leave it to Michael to explain how much trouble he might be. And he, I'm, I'm not the legal expert, but um, Meadows is the bridge. And if, if the dots connect, they go through him. So Trump should be extremely worried about this. There you go. We're gonna. I'm gonna skip ahead and, and take a look as we come to the end of today's broadcast. For all of you who really want to know, we have uh, a couple of letters we're gonna we're gonna get to. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I prepped you guys ahead of time with some of these. So for Michael from Aster, A S T E R eighty three, quote: How can you be so sure that politics had nothing to do with the prosecution of Hunter Biden? I can't be hundred percent sure that it didn't. All I can tell you is I've known Merrick Garland for 30 years, and there's nothing in his background that indicates that he makes decisions based on politics. And I don't believe that there is any objective facts that indicate that the decisions made by the Delaware U United States attorney who has complete independence, according to Garland, and is a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney, um, carried over by the Biden administration to make sure that there was no appearance of, of politics or actual politics. All of those things I can be assured of. And so when I add them all up, I can't reach the conclusion that politics was instrumental in the decision-making process. But How of course, everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just, you know, you add, you, you, you add up all of the objective facts that's, that are knowable and you layer on it, as we talked about earlier, how are similarly situated people treated by the criminal justice system 
um, and Hunter Biden falls within the norm of these sorts of cases. And the decisions were made by a Trump appointed US attorney who hasn't been interfered with by a person, Merrick Garland, who seems to have, in my 30 years of experience with him, no political agenda at all. There you go. That's And so for our uh, wonderful reader, thank you for sending that in, or our listener, thank you for sending that in. And then for um, John from Airman79 Greenup, okay, quote, what does it mean if Marjorie Taylor Greene gets kicked out of the Freedom Caucus, <laughs> end quote? Is that, does it matter? There's talk, I guess that, you know, we've uh, seen the, uh, I guess this comes from the headlines this week, that there's some readjustment going on inside the uh, GOP and that they may be asking her to leave. You've con covered Congress. I guess that that's a good question for you there, brother. I, I, I you know, I'm torn on this one. I, I don't think it matters very much, but it does. It will matter a bit. Um, we've seen her feuding this week with a uh, fellow uh, conservative firebrand, Lauren Boebert, um, <laughs> They had some uh, called her words. a bitch, didn't she? <laughs> yes, uh, she called Bobert a little bitch on the House floor in an exchange that was captured um, on camera. So, yes. you know, Bobert is Bobert is is a member of the Freedom Caucus. Uh, if they kicked out Marjorie Taylor Greene, I, you know, I don't know how much that might free uh, MTG up to be even more of a firebrand in a way. Uh, I don't think it, it's not going to change the fact that it's MTG who somehow is in Speaker McCarthy's not inner circle, kind of outer circle, but she has his ear. Um, they're just an irritant. And and she 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 is something of an ally of the speaker, um, something they say they want to be. So, you know, if. It, it it's not going to help the party kind of broader to have uh, MTG and Bobert feuding because it's just more of this portrait of a party in chaos and really at war with itself. I mean, you can say that, yeah, you know, that they, they can jam up the House floor and the rule doesn't pass, so you can't move legislation. Uh, but they're really at war with themselves. And I, so I, I think it hurts the party overall because because it just feeds that that accurate um, perception that I think a lot of voters have. But I will say this, and it's interesting. And I look at these polls every week. People, voters still slight, slight, but people still, when they're asked, "Who do you prefer to run Congress?" People still pick the Republicans. They still pick the Republicans. <laughs> and it, as you can hear, my, my voice cracked. I'm so shocked. Um, <laughs> it's just, despite all this. They just want chaos, somebody up there going, you little bitch. That's what it is. And I, I talked to Senate, I talked to Senate Republicans. Other reporters uh, I have talked to, uh, to Senate Republicans about what's going on. They're very concerned about the House GOP at war with itself. Um, they're worried in this election cycle coming up 2024 that, that that house Republican uh, civil warring and chaos and infighting is going to hurt Republicans up and down the ticket, including all the way up presidential and, and down at state and local races that people are, are eventually going to get fed up with it. And they're not going to trust Republicans uh, to govern. And remember freedom caucus folks did not come here to govern. I think this is a mis 
a, a perception that people have. They did not come here to govern. They came here to gum up the works of governing. And when they apply themselves, they check That's that box. They do. Yeah. All right. Well, the last question I'm not going to ask because we kind of covered it earlier. But, Michael, this one is for you from Lotus Flower 67. Do you think, <clears throat> I'm not saying this, but I'm just, I'm I'm going to ask it because she asked. <laughs> Do you think that it's accurate to call your favorite musician the Lenny Bruce of rock and roll or, or of, of, uh, well, she, uh, she, she said, uh, of electric, um, uh, God, I can't even read it. I just, uh, do you believe he's the, uh, of uh, the rock rock and roll version of Lenny Bruce? There you go. Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan. That's it's an interesting question. I mean, Lenny Bruce, uh, was a wonderful comedian who, like um, George Carlin, poked his finger in the eyes of the norms of society. And Bob Dylan, I suppose, if you want to draw that analogy, um, poked his eyes in his early years, in his early yeah. years, in the eyes of society with, you know, blowing in the wind and stuff like that. But since those protest songs, uh, Boots of Spanish Leather, Times Are Changing, all those songs, have been you know recorded in uh, 50 years ago he's now he sings love song ballads so had yeah. lenny had lenny bruce not overdosed and died maybe <laughs> lenny bruce wouldn't would be singing love song ballad types of comedy but yeah i think uh, to to lotus's question in their early days both of them were eye pokers and for the good, I think. Uh, let me just say, and and for the good. There you go. Both of them. <laughs> well, with that said, this is just ask the question, John. We can catch you at cq.com, uh, cq afternoon briefing. We're on a recess uh, posture, so the next two Wednesdays only, and uh, Friday column returns after some editing duty last week. Uh, Rollcall.com, Friday morning. There you go, and Michael. The podcast is that said with Michael Zeldin on all major podcast apps. It's a book-based discussion podcast. And this coming week will release, you have to be afraid to, you have to be willing to die in order to, to live about the 1963 Birmingham uh, protests led by Fred Shuttlesworth, Dr. King, and a few others. Really interesting book. There you go. And the name of my book is Free the Press. You can find it wherever fine books are sold. Look it up. And this is Just Ask the Question. You can also catch me on Salon.com every Thursday with a column. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you guys again next week. Have a great time, and we'll see you then.